It's uh, good to be gathered together and uh, that uh, we're gathered together for the Word of God, right? We're here this morning to worship the name of Jesus as we did and uh, uh, through song and then to uh, open the Word together. My name is Paul. Uh, my wife Kelly is sitting over here in the front and I hope you get the opportunity to meet her uh, today. Uh, we have five children. Uh, Hannah is going to be 14. Rachel is 12. Chloe is 9. Lydia is six, and Jonathan is five today. Did I get it right? Yeah. So we're gonna have a late we're gonna have a late birthday party tonight. I think I've got it down because I've been asked so many times this last weekend. Uh, a thank you to uh, the leadership for um, just loving my wife and I. Um, thank you, Bob and Terry, for being our tour guides and introducing us to everyone. Got to go to a Grizz game yesterday, which was awesome, and uh, I love football, so we had a, my wife yells really loud, so she had a good time, so, um, but I, I don't want to talk about us, I want to talk about Jesus. If you want to ask questions later today, we'll be here, and you can ask us all about our family. Uh, I've entitled this message, Not Ashamed of the Gospel, and if uh, you may wonder, what is this picture and this painting of this woman up there? And the painting is one artist's version of a woman named Perpetua. And if you have not read her diary or the story about her, she uh, lived and she died in 203 A.D. in uh, North Africa in um, in Tunisia, Carthage, Tunisia. Uh, she was a noble woman. She'd become a Christian, and she was arrested with four other friends. They were uh, being taught about baptism, getting prepared for that, and they were arrested because they were Christians. Her father, who was not a Christian, was begging her to just deny Jesus, and she would not do that at all. And she was brought before the governor with the other four Christians, and each one of them, when they were asked uh, to offer incense to the emperor, said no, because they believed in Jesus. And then this governor turns to Perpetua and says, and she says, I will not do that. He says, are you then a Christian? And she said, yes, I am. And each one of them were taken off to this stadium as we would gather in a football game in a sense, and the animals were let loose on them and to the point where the crowd began to uh, call for their uh, death by sword. And all five of them stood for the name of Jesus and lost their lives. They were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus and that's what I asked this question over the past week as I studied and the question that I hope that we all are able to say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to be able to say that, but you know, we live in this world and there's problems, right? Is there problems? You can give me feedback today, so that's a good thing, all right? Um, you know, we go to work, we go to school, we show up uh, talking to our neighbors, and uh, someone asks the question about God, about Jesus, and what happens? Heart starts racing. Starts sweating, some of us. You're like, man, I just want to melt into the ground and get out of here. You have the answer, but it's like they're asking the question, and there's this fear that comes over us, a fear of man. Are they going to accept me? Are they going to still be, you know, count me as one of their family members? Is my boss going to fire me? Is my professor going to kick me out of this class or give me an F? Is my friend here at school going to even talk to me anymore? 
I'll tell you, I can get up and preach in front of people, and yet I'll be at the coffee shop, and someone asks me, why do you have a Bible? And my heart starts racing. And I start, oh, you know, what do I say here? And really what the battle is, is not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. And so it's a, it's a, it's a struggle that we have, but we are praying today, and I've been praying for you, that God would work in us that are believers uh, to be filled with the spirit of boldness and power to share the gospel. And if you're here today and you do not know the gospel, you don't know Jesus, that you leave changed and that you are a follower of Christ. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Uh, either if, it's in your, if you have a Bible, turn to the far right in the New Testament. If it's in your phone. Scroll down to the bottom there. As you're turning to Romans chapter 1, the big idea that we look at this morning is simply this. We must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, which is able to save. I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The word of God. Say amen. Amen. Father, I pray that as we spend a few minutes together in your word, we ask that you would make your word alive in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in us, that you would stir our hearts, that we would be people who love those who are lost, and that we would have such a desire to stand for your name. Father, I pray for any that are facing persecution in their homes or in their workplaces or schools because they love you. I pray that you would give them boldness. Holy Spirit, teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'll draw out for you four points that, as we look at this. and Look at verse 16, and the first point is this is the gospel. We need to know what the gospel is if we're not going to be ashamed of it. Uh, if you look at Jesus and the disciples that followed him, the end of their lives was taken because they stood for the name of Jesus. You think about the fact that these disciples spent three years with Jesus. They followed him everywhere he went. He goes to the cross, is crucified, buried a tomb, and he raises back to life. They saw, they believed, and therefore they went through persecution and death because they believed the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't studied the book of Romans, there's a guy, his name is Paul. He's an apostle. He was a guy who hated Christians. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was one day on a road to Damascus to go in prison and persecute other Christians. And God stops him in his track, and he speaks to him, and God saves the apostle Paul. His life is changed. Three days later, He begins to go out and tell people the gospel of Jesus, the power of the gospel to change our lives. And he went out boldly. And so this guy, Paul, uh, writes a number of books in the New Testament. Uh, He in Romans is if you're if you I'm a I'm a person that likes to go, hey, we can spend some time in a couple of verses, but what's the context going on here? There's some verses inside some paragraphs, inside some chapters, inside a letter, inside the New Testament, inside the Bible. We need to always keep the context of God's Word before us, or we get into the danger of becoming heretics. You single out a verse, 
And you build a doctrine, and so we won't want to do that, right? So what is he pointing out? He's writing to these believers or these people in Rome, and he wants to speak the truth to them. And we come to really the points of where he goes in the whole book, this pivot point there. Paul the Apostle was beaten countless times. Imagine you being punched in the face, being beaten with rods repeatedly because you told people about Jesus. He said he was in prison in, in, in uh, first, or 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I was in prison countless times. I was beaten countless times. I was laughed at. Maybe many of us can say, oh, I've been laughed at. I've been called a, you know, a freak or, or a fool because of Jesus. But how many of us have really been beaten or thrown in prison for the name of Jesus? This guy went to wherever he was called to by God, by the Holy Spirit, and he went through much, much suffering to the point that one of the cities took him out of the city. They threw stones at him till he was, they thought, dead. And he gets up and goes back into the city to tell them about Jesus. That's someone who's not ashamed of the gospel. And I believe the reason he was not ashamed of the gospel is because he saw the power of God as it changed his life. And I pray that you, too, see the power of God and your life changed. So we have to ask this question, what is the gospel? If we are not correct and clear on what the gospel is, it's going to be all messed up. And so you have to ask the question, what is the gospel? If you want to turn to it, I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. I don't know if it's highlighted in your bulletins. We're going to look at verse 3 through 4. Um, But as you turn there and look at that, um, I ask Christians many times to tell me, what is the gospel? Number one answer I get, Christians will say, it's the Bible. Okay, the Bible's good. It's the Word of God. The Bible is not the gospel. Okay, the Bible contains the gospel. So I'll push them. They're like, okay, well... Uh, it's Jesus. I'm like, hey, we're getting closer. The gospel is about Jesus, but it's not, you know, and so we're trying to say, and then they'll move on a little bit closer. They'll say, it's the good news. Yes, the gospel means good news, but they still haven't told me what the gospel is. And so when people ask you in this world, tell me about God, tell me about Jesus, or tell me the gospel, what is, you need to know if you're a Christian, because if you're a Christian, you've been saved by the gospel. And we know this as Christians, but sometimes we're not clear. And so when someone gives us that opportunity to say, hey, um, tell me uh, about about, uh, God or whatever, we'll say, oh, God loves you. Well, that's true. But then we avoid the gospel. God loves you so much. And so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul, he writes to this church that had a lot of issues being the church. And he says in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here's verse 3 and 4. Here's the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. The gospel is so simple that a five, six-year-old can understand the gospel. They can be impacted by the Holy Spirit. They can believe and they can go tell someone else. At age six, I heard the gospel 
at a, at a little Christian school I was at. There was a flannel graph board for those of you who know what it is. And after that was done, I went to my teacher and said, I want to be with Jesus. I, I, I don't want to die and go to hell. And at that point, I believed in Jesus Christ. And I believed the Lord saved me at that point. If at age six I could understand the gospel, we need to understand the gospel is simple. But yet, I know I've at times tried to share the gospel with people and I've jumbled it up in my mind, you know. And I'm like, oh, well, this, that. And I'm going to these verses. And it's like Paul says, it's simply this. Here's the gospel. For those of you who are doing the, the, the treasure seeker forms, you can follow on along the gospel. What is the gospel? It's that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. And the second part of it is that Jesus was raised to life. He conquered Satan, conquered sin, conquered death. Jesus Christ died for sinners, and He rose again. That's the gospel. But the good news about the gospel is this, is that work was done so that we as sinners could be saved. And I'll tell you this. Here's your warning. If you've not shared the gospel with someone before, just I'm warning you, know that people are offended by the gospel. And you probably were too before you became a Christian because the gospel says this, we are sinners. The gospel says we are sinners and we cannot fix the problem. So what happens with our pridefulness as man? No way, don't tell me that. I'm, I'm in America, I can fix whatever, right? But the gospel offends people. So that's your warning, is know that when you share the gospel, you will offend people because if you're going to tell them the true gospel, you have to tell them that they are sinners and that they need a Savior who went to the cross. And died in their place from their, for their sins. And he rose again. And that's the aspect, if you look and continue in verse 16, and the second point is the gospel is the power of God. It says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? You, you can give me feedback. What does it say there? It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power. Can you say it again? Power. That word, power, is where we get, uh, in the English language, our word dynamite. This Greek word that's used there, dunamis, it, you get the word dynamite from that. The gospel is the power of God. And if we would think for a minute, here's your assignment this week. Whether I ever see you again or not, uh, your assignment this week is to go and read God's word. And every time you read something about God's power, write it down. You will go through God's word from the beginning to the end and repeatedly every page you will see the power of God displayed. And so if you think of from the beginning, God said, let there be what? He said light. He spoke creation into existence. When you read Psalm 147, it says that God, he placed all the stars in the sky and he named them. And if you think about uh, here in, in, in this area where you live, you see a portion of of the stars in the universe. And God named every single one. He put them in their place. The power of God. If you think about through the Old Testament and think about how the nation of Israel, they were in slavery to Egypt. And as God brought them out of Egypt, there was a, some water they came to, right? What happened to the water? What did He do? 
God parted it. You know, the wind came over and it said the Israelites walked on dry ground. The power of God, as, as the announcement earlier about BSF, to think about Gideon and to think about David and to think about all of these characters and these things. You look and see the power of God working in and through them. And if you just spend, we could spend all day talking about the power of God and seeing Jesus as he healed the lame, the blind. He called Lazarus. A dead man out of the grave. The power of God. And it's important for us to take note the power of God because it says that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. In that same book that we were at, 1 Corinthians, in that letter, chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from death to life is the same power behind the gospel. You see, to the Roman world, when you mention the the cross, that would be foolishness to them. To think of a man who was nailed to a cross and died and he's your savior, it would mean foolishness to them. But the gospel is the power. And the reason that the gospel has this power of God behind it is that the gospel can save us. And so therefore, if we believe that Jesus Christ rose from death to life, we were just singing about that, right? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? I heard some mumbles there. Do you believe Jesus Christ rose from the grave? It's okay to talk here, you know what I mean? It's okay to encourage one another in the Lord. And so Jesus Christ is alive, amen? The same power that raised Christ from Death to life is the same power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So therefore, we can go and tell someone the gospel because we have great comfort and peace even in the midst of the greatest persecution. You know, we support a lot of missionaries around this world, right? We send them here out all to the ends of the earth and here in the United States. And I don't even have to tell you. You know the stories. You hear these things about Christians who are put in prison and Christians who are murdered and Christians because of the name of Jesus. And you go, wow, I could never have that boldness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. And Jesus Christ, when he spoke to the disciples in the last hours that he was with them, he talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit would empower them to be able to speak and to, to give, the Holy Spirit would give the words. And so some of you, I've been praying this week that even as we sit here this morning, there's names and faces that come to your mind that live in this area that you're going to see tomorrow and this week who are completely without Christ and that God would open a door. So some of you are like, don't pray for me that. Well, I've been praying for you that this week. I've been praying that this week when you leave from here that people would ask you about God and you could tell them and you would be reassured that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and will give you the power to do that because the gospel is the power of God. And I think when we understand that there is the power of God behind the gospel, uh, we sleep a little bit better. We have a little bit of less anxiety because you know what? Um, You and I can't save anyone. Did you know that? I used to, years ago, share the gospel with people, and if they, uh, when I was doing youth ministry and they'd pray to receive the Lord, I would use terms like, oh, I saved a kid today. I didn't save anyone. 
God used me to share the gospel, and that kid was saved by the power of God. And so let's make sure we never steal glory from God, and let's make sure we give all the glory to Him and to be humbled and go, wow, God could do all this work without me, but His plan is that He would dare use me as sinner? Because if you read 1 John, when we're saved, we're not perfect. We're going to be glorified one day. We have a glorified body one day. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sadness, no more tears, no more problems. And one day that will be awesome with Jesus for eternity. But I'll tell you, I battle with sin. I can't find one Christian in this world who is perfect. And therefore, it is a good thing to know that God empowers us and he uses us so that people can hear the gospel and be saved And that's the third thing that I'd like you to look at in verse 16 is that the gospel saves. The gospel saves. The gospel powerfully leads people to believe and repent of their sins. Hopefully uh, you have not experienced this before, uh, but if you have, you know what I'm talking about. But... If you're in a home or in a building and you're in a room and the place is on fire and the doors are on fire and the windows are on fire and you cannot get out, what do you need? Who do you need? I, I, heard, I heard Savior, Rescuer. I, did someone say a firefighter? You need a firefighter, right? I mean, your, your place is burning down. You need the firefighter to come bust down the door with his axe and bring in the oxygen tank and just put you over his shoulder and take you out, right? He, you need the firefighter. You need a savior. You need a rescuer. You need a deliverer. And this is the great, wonderful good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ is our savior. He's our deliverer. He's the one that sets us free from sin and eternal death and damnation. And is it okay that say hell here? That there's a real hell? Too many uh, churches, um, we need to love the lost. And if you are far from the Lord here, uh, this church I can tell loves you. But when a church um, stops telling people that there is a real hell, there's a problem. Hell is not something that you use as a fear tactic to try to get someone to believe in Jesus, some emotional thing. Hell is real, and people are dying every day, and they're going to hell, separated from God, who gives us the ability to breathe right now, and they'll be in eternal torment forever. Hell is real. They need to know that. And they need to know that if they're a sinner who never turns and believes in Jesus Christ, they're going to spend eternity there. That is part of the gospel. That's why people don't want to hear the gospel and why we need to tell them the gospel because the gospel saves them. The work of Jesus Christ has, that He's done saves. So look at verse 16 that we've been reading here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? The power of God. You're getting better there. Verse 16 there, it says, For salvation to who? There we go, everyone. Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, how many of you have seen the History Channel before? You watch that? Yeah? It's okay. You can put your hand up. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to tell them. I watch the History Channel. You know, the History Channel a lot of times gets it right on the historical Jesus. Like, they, they, they'll have all these specials, especially watch Easter time. 
or watch, you know, Christmas. They got all the specials about Jesus. And I'll tell you, they still get it wrong every time. But, you know, they, hey, they believe in the historical Jesus. I could tell you that all of us here probably know many, many people who believe that, oh, yeah, Jesus, he, he lived. The histor- you know, it's, it's recorded in history. But how many of those people actually believe that not only he was crucified and he died, but he rose again? That's the problem there with people saying, I believe in Jesus because I meet people all the time that say, oh, I believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in the work that Christ did and they don't believe that he rose from the grave and therefore they're not saved. And I think about when Jesus, I think it's in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that, uh, that people will be at, the, at this end point with him and, and they'll say, Jesus, I went and helped people to prisons and I did this and I fed the hungry and I went on a mission trip and I did all this stuff. I taught Sunday school. And he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. How many people have a works-based relationship in that sense in their mind with God? I do all these good things for God so then I can be with Him. I believe, I acknowledge Jesus, but I do all these good things. I'll tell you this, I've been preaching through the book of Galatians back home, and Paul is very clear that Jesus plus anything else is nothing. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is what saves and people need to hear that all the time. That You need to tell the people the truth of God. So it says for salvation to everyone who believes. If you read the book of Acts and the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and you begin to read in chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and onward, the gospel goes out, people hear it, The Holy Spirit gets a hold of their hearts and they believe. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, 3,000 people. I mean, imagine us standing with 3,000 people. The gospel is shared and 3,000 people believe in Jesus Christ and are saved. That's powerful, isn't it? If you read on in Acts, you see in Acts chapter 4, at least 5,000 more. It just says 5,000 men. We don't know. There may have been women and children there, but at least 5,000 men that day were believed the gospel and were saved. That was actually Acts chapter 4. And then Acts chapter 5, it says many multitudes. Just the church continued to grow as the gospel was preached. And then you get to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas They're in prison. They've been beaten. They're bloodied. They're in shackles at midnight. You guys know, anyone know what they were doing? They were singing. I don't know what songs they're singing, but praising the Lord, singing to Him. Maybe they were using chains and stuff as their percussion. They were singing. Earthquake happens. All the chains fall off, the doors come off, are open, and this jailer runs in ready to fall on his sword because he's going to uh, be in big trouble if all these guys get out. And they're like, hey, hey don't, don't, no, don't, don't kill yourself, we're all here. And he falls down before them, he's like, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Because some of us maybe have asked that question, or maybe you're asking that question here, is again, is who can be saved? If we're sinners and nothing can save us, if nothing we can do can save us, that's a bad, bad place to be in. 
but to know that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we can be saved, brings great hope. And so who can be saved? Simply everyone who believes. What does it say there? Who can be saved? It says, for salvation to who? In verse 16. Heard the mumbling again. It says, for salvation to who? Everyone who believes. And again, they believe in what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It says they're the Jew and the Gentile for every, every tribe, tongue, and nation, basically. Imagine again as you book, read in the book of Revelation, and a little tip. I know that I used to always say that. It's not revelations. It's revelation. In the book of Revelation, there's a wonderful picture of people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. People who believe in Jesus Christ from all ages, ethnic races and places in this world. And you might say, um, Pastor Paul, you don't know about my neighbor. Um, Pastor Paul, there's a professor on our campus that you just don't know about. There's a teacher I have. You don't know my boss. You don't know the coworker. Those people are never going to turn to Jesus. So are you telling God that all things are not possible with him? Are you saying, God, you don't have a long enough hand to save? Because Isaiah 59.1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Therefore, if you're here and you might say, well, I'm hearing this, how can I be saved? Believe? It's simply this. How, the question is, how can I be saved? Number one, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And number two, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. If you read in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul tells this. So you never just take a pastor's word when he's preaching. Use your Bible. Test what I'm telling you to this morning. Go to your Bible. Don't just trust the guy on the TV. Don't just trust the person because they've got 20 books in their name. Read God's Word. Test it. Because God has given you His Word and He hasn't given you something that you cannot understand because He's given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can enable every single one of you to understand God's Word and to speak the Gospel and to teach a new believer what you've learned in your life. That's a whole other day on discipleship. Romans 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is what? Saved. If God stir in your heart, to believe in Him, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins, that He died, but He rose again. Conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death. Believe, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the wonderful part is that Jesus is not here in the sense of walking amongst us. He's ascended to heaven. And He's, did you know that Jesus is ruling and reigning on the throne right now? Did you know that? Okay, I got an amen. There we go. Yes, Jesus is ruling and reigning now, and he's promised to what? Got the mumbling again. Just say it proudly. He's promised to do what? 
He's promised to come back. He's promised to return. What a glorious, wonderful truth of God that He's faithful and He always keeps His word and He never fails us. So how can you be saved? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. If you look at verse 17, the final point we see this morning is that when a person is saved, that we can see in the gospel and the work of God in our life that it reveals the righteousness of God. The fourth point is the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Uh, Do we have anyone in here that you did track and field and you did high jump? Anyone in here? I see a couple hands. All right. I did that in high school. How, does anyone know what the world record high jump is? You want to guess? What is it, Bob? You always know the numbers. What? Exactly. It's, it's, it's like uh, 2.45 meters, and it's like, so it's right at 8 feet 2. I was reaching up and measuring the wall today, so on my index finger, it's about right here. How many of us in this room can jump over that today? I think I was jumping like here or something when I was doing it. Imagine if God's righteousness was here and he said, you need to jump over that to receive a right standing with me. We'd all fail. Or better yet, we were on our flight here and they said, hey, we're almost to our cruising altitude of 30,000 feet. I'm like, 30,000? What if that was the mark? And, and, and it's like, hey, you've got to jump over that 30,000 to have a right standing with God. Well, think about this. God is holy. God is holy. There is no way that man at all can attain that. And that brings you to a sobering reality of, woe is me, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. But the glorious picture of the gospel is this. When God saves people, we have a great understanding of the righteousness of God, which is revealed because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone fails when it comes to God's perfect standard or state of righteousness. I meet a lot of people. Again, as I was pointing out a few minutes ago, who think that if they believe in Jesus and they go to church and they give their money and they serve and they do all this stuff, that they're saved because of those other things. I see Christians who, I mean, probably some of the most anxious people and stressed out people because they're trying to please God. And they live their life in a sense of uh, a friend of ours back at home, he, and he's teaching, he uses an illustration of a daisy, and, he's, and it's like this sense of, you know, remember that, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, but yet Christians battle with this, and it's like, oh, God loves me today because I went on the mission trip. Oh, he hates me today, he loves me not because, oh, I went and did that sin. And then, oh, he loves me because today I got up a, 15 minutes early and did my devotional. And the next day, oh, he loves me not because, oh, that happened in my life. And you see Christians going up like this, and it's like, wait a minute. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel because it says there in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by 
faith. And so the question is, what is righteousness? Righteousness is having a right legal standing before God. And you need to know this. Righteousness is the gift of God. That when God saves us, Holy Spirit comes into us. I was just preaching in Galatians chapter 4 about adoption. Do you know that God, when He saves us, He adopts us as His own children with the full status of His own child with an inheritance. And so what happens is when we're saved, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So if you're here this morning and saved, and maybe you've been battling with sin this week, and you're like saying, oh, woe is me, I can't even sing that song to God right now, you need to be reminded that you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and therefore when God the Father sees you, that's my son, that's my daughter. He doesn't see your sins. I love the passage. I think, it's, I think it's in the book of Psalms where it says that God, in a sense, tosses our sins into the depths of the sea. God the Father does not see that. He sees the righteousness of Christ. You need to be told that this morning. If you're a Christian, you're struggling with trying to please God. If He's already done a saving work in your, in your life, He's already pleased with you. We were, I think one of the songs we were singing a little while ago it said something at the beginning of the song, He sings over us with joy. Do you know that that's in Scripture? He sings over His children with joy? And yet the world and Satan, our enemy, wants to get us in a mode of being guilt-ridden and down and, oh, woe is me. He loves me not. Jesus loves you. God loves you. The Father sees the righteousness of Christ. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says this, And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. That's Romans chapter 4 verse 5. Therefore, the righteousness that we are given is such a great, glorious, wonderful gift I'd like you to turn to one more passage before we close, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is a tie-in in where we're at in Romans chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says in verse 20 and 21, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. If that is not something that powerfully impacts your life today, then you need to pray and say, Lord, speak to me and show me this. Because too many Christians are so living in the mud with guilt over sin. This is not to say that, oh, you have the freedom to go sin. Paul writes about that in the book of Galatians. God works and sanctifies us. That's a wonderful thing when we're saved. This process of He keeps working our life and working our life, and there's steps forwards and there's hills and valleys until the day that we're with Him and we're glorified. And there's no more sin. But while we walk this world, do you know, and if you haven't known, you need to know that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, enables you to walk in holiness and to walk in righteousness. And so you can say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. 
and taking my sins away. And those struggles we have, Holy Spirit, I need help today. Holy Spirit, I need to look to the cross. Holy Spirit, I need your word to guide me. Holy Spirit, I need some strength right now because temptation is, 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 is at my door knocking. And the wonderful thing is when that temptation is knocking at the door, the word of God says, I believe in 1 Corinthians, there's no temptation that can overtake you, that God enables you to stand. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us during that time. But we're to be ambassadors for Christ. And when God looks at us, His people, He sees the righteousness of Christ. Yesterday, when we were sitting at the, um, the Grizzly Stadium there, um, I loved the game. Awesome, even though it was a blowout at the end. It was awesome. But I tell you, it was just, I felt down. And it was a very sobering thing as I looked across the field. And I looked at the number of people. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I was reading some 2018 uh, demographics of Missoula. And in that, there were, again, these are approximate numbers. So if I'm wrong in numbers, I'm wrong in there. But 72,000 approximate people in this city. And when they were asked, what uh, religion are you? 71.5% uh, says None, no religion. So 51,000 people in this city say, I have no religion whatsoever. 51,000 people. And Grizzly Stadium, I mean, Bob will probably correct me on this, but 25,217 seats is what I was looking at. Now, I know that they've had record numbers of people standing there, but 25,000 people, let's just picture that. The stadium completely filled, and you could fill it twice and still have 1,000 standing outside the stadium that say, I have no religion. You live among the people here. No religion. 52,000 people. Is that staggering to think? And then, but wait, I read this. You got 9% of the city, uh, 65, approximately 6,500 people who say they're Catholic. And if they're Catholic and say that they believe in Jesus, but they believe that they also have to do works to be saved, that's not the gospel and they're not saved. So you can add... 6,500 6, people to that. But wait again, 5.4% of people, 3,800 people approximately say they believe in other religions. So the big total is 61,000 people in this city out of 72,000 are lost. Fill up the Grizzly Stadium twice and a half time after that of people who need Jesus. Sobering, isn't it? If they die today, they go to hell. And you know these people. They're your friends. Maybe they're some of your family members, co-workers, schoolmates. The great news is God's placed you here for such a time as this. It's a good thing to hear the Bible and the pages being flipped to meet the people I've met this weekend to know that uh, God's placed you here. He's giving you the gospel. You know the gospel. You have no excuse. And... You have the answer to their hopelessness, which is Jesus, and you need to go do it. I can't tell you anything else other than you need to go do it. Because all these people need to hear Jesus. And some of you say, okay, well, maybe God will save a few people. Then you don't believe in a big God. Because Jonah was told to go to the city of Nineveh, and he ran, and he got swallowed by a big fish. Not to burst your bubble, it doesn't say whale, it says fish, a big fish. 
he was there. He finally says, all right, Lord, I relent. I'll go. But he still went. He said, you're all going to burn. He goes up outside the city and he gets all mad because there's a nice shade, little bush, weed thing that grows over. The wind comes along and it burns it down and he gets all angry. And God's like, you, why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? And Jonah's like, I've got a right to be angry. My plant is gone. My shade is gone. And right at the end, the last two verses of Jonah, it says, God says this, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? If God can save 120,000 people, he could sure sure save 62,000 people. And if he decides to use uh, his people to do that, then we need to get to work. You need to get to work. And know that God gives you the power to stand for his name. I'll read you one last verse. If you doubt the power of God, to save people. I want you to read Ephesians chapter, three, Ephesians chapter 3 this week. One of the prayers that Paul prays, I've been praying for you the last two weeks, is this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up right now. We're going to sing again. And I just want to encourage you with this. If you are a Christian here today, and you can say, hey, I know that if I die today, I'm going to be with my Lord Jesus for eternity. That's a wonderful thing. Because we'll get to praise His name together forever. But maybe some of you that are believers say, I need some boldness today. Maybe some of you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. Maybe some of you are feeling down in that He loves me, loves me not. And and, and you need to confess some sin to the Lord and say, Lord, I I really need some help here. I need to get a brother or sister to to walk with me through this. I, I, I need some help, Lord, to break the bonds of some of these things. If you're a Christian, call out to the Lord because He hears us and He answers us and He wants us to talk to Him. If you're here and you've been coming and maybe someone invited you, maybe you just showed up and go, hey, here's a church here. And maybe you're in trouble and, 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 and you've never believed in Jesus Christ. You've never heard the gospel today. Again, as we read in Romans, believe in Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth and He will save you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us so greatly. Thank you that we have such joy to know that you've prepared eternity for us to be with you. 
Oh, Lord, we look forward to that day, and we pray all the time, Lord, come back now. But, Lord, you have work for us here. Lord, help us to be followers of you that are not lazy one bit. Father, I pray that you would give each person here such great boldness, Lord, that uh, when they face any laughter or mockery or persecution, that they would say, hey, I love Jesus, and you need to know that you can be set free of sin. Father, we pray for however many number of people in the city that are lost. We pray that you would save them. I pray that you would use every Christian in every church in the city of Missoula to herald the gospel and for people to be impacted by the Holy Spirit and be saved. Jesus, we give you glory. We give you praise. We thank you so much for your word and for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. It comes from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless. Please stay for the the potluck afterwards and uh, have a wonderful day.